0: Alrighty, we are in the book of Acts, as has been the case for the previous 23 weeks. We are in Acts, the 24th chapter today, and um, it's not Groundhog Day, but it's going to feel that way because another chapter and another Paul defense. So Jason, are you ready? Are you so excited for Paul to defend himself once again? You know it, man. I'm ready. Actually, I am kind of excited about this chapter. There's some things in this chapter that uh, you know help us to learn some historical stuff. I think a little bit about kind of Roman court proceedings. We um, Paul Paul's going to take some different uh, avenues in his defense here, and um, and as is always the case, uh, he's going to use this as an opportunity to preach the gospel. And he's it's a neat opportunity here because he's getting to kind of preach to an audience of of one, well, two, but, but, but one in particular that he it seems like he's kind of honing in on. So uh, we'll get to that here as we uh, crank along in the chapter. Paul's been brought to, uh, to to Caesarea, where we left off, and he's now uh, being brought before Uh, The governor of this particular province, a man by the name of Felix, history tells us this guy at this point has probably been the governor for six or seven years. He's not a really great guy. Uh, He actually, uh, I'd done some reading prior to this, that uh, Felix is actually the guy who was responsible for the murder of the previous high priest, the guy who was before Ananias, and that's Ananias is the guy who slapped, Paul or ordered Paul to be slapped across the face. Um, and so um, just not a really great dude to be uh, you know having the opportunity to stand before, but Paul is going to seize the moment to talk to a guy who apparently has some familiarity with Christianity. and the text is actually going to just say that here uh, in a little while. Uh, so let's just but that's a lot of foreshadowing. Let's just read in verse 1. After five days, um, so gonna take, it's going to take a, a few days to get all of the, uh, the, the, the prosecutors' people up here that are going to be making this uh, case. Uh, so five days have passed. After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus, and they laid before the governor their case against Paul. Um, spokesman is the word that the ESV uses. What's the New American Standard use? Attorney. Attorney. Well, that's that's really what I was going to suggest, that this guy really is uh, kind of the role that he's serving here. Uh, some translations kind of just make it sound like he's just kind of a mouthpiece, but it really does seem like this guy is, uh, you know, he's trained uh, and is specifically, you know, this is the job that he does standing before a, a Roman officer uh, and is going to present the case on behalf of his client which is uh, these members of, of, of the Sanhedrin Council um, yeah anything you want to say about that
1: I uh, mean I, just when we look at what he actually says I think you can tell he's he's good at buttering some biscuits yeah he,
0: he, he, he knows you know what's you know I, I used to work in the court system and it, I would always just enjoy sitting back and watching attorneys kind of just do what, what they, they skillfully do you know the best ones where they just know how to say the right things especially when you have like a visiting attorney somebody that comes from like another county or another jurisdiction how they would just kind of you know dance with their words a little bit uh, and and you know they would never force themselves but always just knew the right things to say and when to say them as they're kind of getting acclimated to a you know a setting that they normally didn't practice in Uh, and that may be kind of the case here with Tertullus is there's an out-of-town guy coming in uh, in order to present this case. Um, verse 2 And when he had been summoned Tertullus began to accuse Paul, saying Since through you so he's talking to Felix, since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. Mercy. Mercy. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I have a cavity from all the sweet-talking that he's doing here. Uh, I mean, yeah. this he, the, the biscuit has been fully buttered right here. Um, sheesh, just all of the, you know, flowery um, building up of Felix. And it's, I don't know. The truth is, Felix probably didn't care hardly at all about these Jews. (laughs) Um, We don't know entirely whether Tertullus is is a Jew or a Gentile. His name seems like it might be a a Roman name, but we don't know one hundred percent whether this guy uh, is actually you know a a Jew or a Gentile himself. But he knows what's the right thing to say for the audience that 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 he's got, and um, you know, just every bit of this is just it just makes you laugh.
1: I mean, are we talking about the same guy here? (laughs) Because, like, Felix was not a good guy. I know. (laughs) Like, what kind of peace and reform is this guy talking about? Yeah. Um, And this just shows how, you know, we, as as Christians, we need to be honest. And, you know, the way we approach people, approach situations, honestly, you know, um, this guy, it was more than just you know saying some flattering things this just was not true yeah. <laughs> at all in the least bit um, and so and i think this helps us too. be careful of what kind of praise we accept from worldly people yeah because you know sometimes people just want to butter you up
0: yeah it's the kind of thing that probably would have given felix the big head too um there's a lot of these Roman uh, officials that you read about in the New Testament, and a lot of these guys just really thought very highly of themselves. And uh, when you have people just heaping this effusive praise, it does not help with that big head. And yeah. um, you know, you have a, a case where like somebody like Herod, for example, we, that we looked at in chapter 12, I mean, people just built him up to where he thought he was a god, and... Uh, he met a terrible demise. I actually think, you know, what Luke records for us, and he probably doesn't even record the, the full extent of Tertullus' uh, speech here. This is probably just a a, a quick summary, and he's getting the uh, the main highlights. But really what he records, I think, in some ways is designed to stand in stark contrast to the way that Paul is going to respond to Felix. You know, Paul's going to begin, you know, in a, in a kind way as well, but it's not going to be just a bunch of empty flattery. It's, all right, Thanks for the opportunity to speak. Now I'm going to speak. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Verse 4, here's even kind of more of just the lying when he says, But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. This is the kind of thing, you know, in, in Roman court proceedings, you know, you're supposed to try to be brief. Uh, but in all likelihood, he probably was not. There probably was more to this explanation than this. This is kind of like, I just, when I read this verse, it makes me think of like preachers, myself, who have done this. When we get up and preach and we talk about, say, maybe at the beginning. And so I'm going to be rather, you know, brief this evening. And uh, and then, you know, after a 30 minute introduction, now I'm going to begin with my first point. And, and, you know, before you know it, everybody's eyes are glazing over for having sat there for an hour. But, um, or like saying, you know,
1: this podcast probably isn't going to be that long. It's right? not. <laughs> That's
0: right. We're always going to keep it in a, in a, we're just going to be respectful of your time so much today. Um, not. Verse 5. Um, here's the meat of, of what they want to say. For we found this man a plague. What's the new record standard? A real pest. A real pest. I like that one even better. <laughs> Paul has the pest. Um, and to their, from their point of view, he was a pest. You know, they've tried to stomp him out many times like a cockroach, and Paul just keeps getting away and just will not die. (laughs) Um, He's a pest, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world, and he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. And so by examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. So... There's several layers here to the charges that are brought against Paul. Uh, not just that he's a pest, but that he's, he's stirring up this uh, dissension, that he stirs up riots amongst the Jews. You know, If you want to talk about charges that would really get somebody in trouble in the first century Roman world, in the Roman Empire, it's accused them of starting riots. You know, the Romans were all about order. And everybody falling in line, and you do what we tell you to, and we don't want any kind of disruptions. Um, you know, we talked about that a lot back in chapter seventeen or eighteen when Paul was in Ephesus, and you know there was the concern about the riots there. Um, so for somebody to come along and say, "Hey, this guy is a riot starter," that's going to be the kind of thing that's going to get Roman attention in, in a hurry. Um, so he's being accused of, of that. Um, uh, it, it, not just in one specific place, but he says, you know, stirring up riots amongst Jews all over the world. You know, this yeah. guy is hopping around from place to place, and this is just his M.O. everywhere that he that he goes. Um, that he is a ringleader of this sect of the Nazarenes. Um, you know, this is of course designed to be just a, a contemptuous um, sort of description of of, of Christians. Um, this is, to my knowledge, this actually may be the only. Uh, place where uh, this, this term of, of being described as, uh, you know, this, uh, the sect of the Nazarenes is used. And, of course, it's tied to Jesus, Jesus being from, from Nazareth, and you know, no good thing comes from Nazareth. And so uh, to tie him to, to being one of these Nazarenes just carried with it a stigma of, of just rotten and awful. Um, and then, of course, the thing that's been um, brought up again and again that Paul profaned the temple. I do find it interesting that here in verse six they've actually kind of softened that a little bit. By this point, he tried to profane the temple. You know, before mm. they were saying he did do this, but now it's, right. well, he tried to do it, um, which still is not even true. Um, but that we seized him and you know stopped him from actually uh, doing that sort of thing, desecrating our temple. Um, and then verse eight that well, hey we we really wanted to you know judge him according to our law, but. Uh, you know, we really weren't able to do that, so that's why we're bringing him to you to take care of him. Um, just uh, this is just fraught with with untruths and uh, things that maybe you know had a kernel of truth, but then we're going to stretch it and, and and inflate it to sound like something that it's really not. It really paints Paul out to be like this this terrible, awful uh, person who's just a troublemaker in every sense. And they downplay their
1: own actions yeah. in this a lot too. I mean, it's and we arrested him.
0: yeah, was that how it went, really? Yeah <laughs> like no. talking about riots and and disorder, uh, they really were the ones that had created the rioting and disorder.
1: yeah, yeah, very much so. And I mean, there's there's a sort of an added part. some manuscripts add. Some words through, from the end of verse six to the beginning of verse eight that are in some versions right. uh, doesn't change doesn't what change we're anything. looking here at all. Just making you aware if if you were wondering why Josh skipped over some verses, so it's because usually the ESV uh, doesn't add in those additions. Textual variants, indeed. Um, but yeah, I mean the main point is is absolutely the same. Uh, you know, Paul's a terrible guy. We're great you need to judge judge him because he's awful
0: yeah the other big thing here uh, and and i kind of skim by this talking about accusing him being this of of the ringleader of the sect of the nazarenes Uh, let's remember that you know christianity in the eyes of the roman world is 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 not an officially recognized religion Hmm. uh and which means it's illegal and Judaism was. It, I, I do find it interesting, though, the way Tertullus explains this and the wording that he uses, because most likely in the ears of Felix, it probably doesn't come across sounding like he's the ringleader of this brand new religion. N- no, it, it probably in the ears of, of, of Felix probably came across sounding like, well, this is just another branch that splintered off of that Jewish religion. Um, yeah. the, the sect of the Nazarenes, just another, you know, you got the... Pharisees sect and the Sadducees sect and the Essene sect and all these other sects and well then there's the Nazarene sect It's just this other one. Uh, So he probably kind of did himself a disservice, I think, by even Mm. using that sort of wording. but again, in, in summary, he's a troublemaker, and troublemakers are, are just not good in uh, the Roman Empire. Uh, verse 9, those Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. I don't know if that necessarily means that all the you know, Ananias and whatever other Sanhedrin people that were there, if they just were like, yay! Or if maybe they were brought as actual witnesses and just corroborated all the things that Tertullus uh, had presented here. Regardless,
1: it doesn't seem like they have a whole lot of evidence there. They don't. They yeah. don't.
0: It's all a bunch of hearsay. Uh, and, and, or maybe my hearsay is not even the best way to, to, to say it. But you just got a bunch of people that are all you know just, just saying things that just are, are, are not true. You just have an accumulation of people saying things that are not true. Verse number 10. Then when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied. Now, let, let's just notice how different Paul's reply is. <laughs> knowing that for many years you've been a judge over this nation i cheerfully make my defense you know paul doesn't say you know man you've just been awesome at your job and you're just you've brought us such peace no paul just says you've been doing this job for a few years now And I acknowledge that. <laughs> and now I will speak. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Kind of, There's there's the affirmation of respect, you know, that, all right, yeah. you've been in that position for a while, and I respect that, and so uh, I, I appreciate that you let me have this opportunity to, to make my defense. And all that would have been absolutely true, and that's about the nicest way that you could say it to this guy who, you know, just was a notorious not-good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, verse number 11. Paul says, You can verify... "...that it is not more than twelve days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me." Just stop right there. talk about Paul's response to all of the uh, the charges that are made. First of all, he says, you know, I've been here for twelve days. I haven't even been here long enough... To even organize some kind of a giant coup against the Roman Empire, um, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't even work. Uh, secondly, the reason I came here was not to stir up trouble. I came here to worship. I came to worship in Jerusalem. One of the things that we've tried to kind of say is that, you know, Paul, being a Jew, was a good Jew. And, and nobody could deny that he was a good Jew. You know, was was consistent in, and he'll talk again about being uh, operating in all good conscience. Once again, uh, I've been a good Jew, and and I think the, what Paul's going to kind of formulate here is that people who are actually good Jews become Christians. Mm-hmm. If you really are a good Jew, you're going to become a Christian. Uh, you're going to be a part of the of the way. Um, so I'm just I, I came here to worship. Um, the, the charge of, you know, disputing and stirring up a crowd in the temple or, or even anywhere, just not true. They, they have not brought to you a single witness who's able to actually uh, state, yeah, I saw him do this. Um, none of that is present. Um, verse 13, they can't prove any of the things that they've brought up against me.
1: When you look at that, you think about, okay, how do you, if, if someone makes false accusations about you, they make stuff up. How do you defend that you know how do you argue against that because it's hard yeah because how do you prove that you didn't do that someone made up about you that said you did yeah uh i mean that's kind of difficult to do yeah other than just lay out the facts like okay now here's where i was here's what i was doing i don't know where you get all that you all need to bring the evidence like everything that tertullus did and what everybody has been doing against paul just speaking in generalities and just in general, no, he's just a temple defamer and he's, you know, tearing down Jewish worship. Yeah. Um, and Paul's like, listen, I don't know what to tell you, you. Let but
0: me give you some specifics about yeah. what I really was about. Exactly. The, other, the other option, you know, when you're just accused of all kinds of um, just made up stuff uh, is to do what Jesus did. Uh, you know, when Jesus was first brought before the Sanhedrin uh, in the middle of the night, he just didn't say anything. Yeah. Just kept his mouth quiet, you know. It, there, there's no sense. There's, you know. I think about the Fifth Amendment in the uh, here in the United States. That's that's designed to protect from you know self-incrimination, and what's the point of even opening my mouth, even addressing something that's just false and and, and made up? So that's always an option as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, Paul though is is more inclined to kind. Of, hey, look, I, I got some specific things. Let me let me pull out my my diary and I'll tell you. Twelve days ago is when I showed up, and uh, and this <laughs> yeah. is where I went, and this is who I was with, and these are the things that I that I did. And in fact, this has been my whole you know uh, manner of life all the way up until this point. Um, so Paul's not going to admit any of these things that they say. I like the way he then shifts in verse fourteen when he says. But here's what I will admit to you, Felix. Mm -hmm. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything that's laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. And while I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, and this is probably more than likely some of those Jews that had been causing Paul's trouble all the way back in like Ephesus, Mm -hmm. they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. So a, a lot to unpack there. And what I love about uh, these verses is that in in a lot of ways, Paul gives a pretty good little summary of what Christianity is mm-hmm. and, and just some of the uh, the major foundational highlights of, of what uh, the way really is all about. Um Paul says they call this Christianity thing a sect, like it's just some, you know, this this renegade thing over here that's just completely divorced itself from the Old Testament uh, and the law of Moses. Paul says, actually, that's not true. Paul actually says what Christianity is is it's an outgrowth of the Old Testament. He says, I'm worshiping the exact same God that they claim to worship. Um, this is not some, you know, I, I, I even... There's part of me, the older that I get, I almost don't even like the reference to the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And I say that from the standpoint, not because I don't appreciate, um, you know, like the book of Hebrews that does talk about this new and and better way. I get all that, but sometimes in people's mind, the way that comes across is that, well, that Old Testament, well, well, it's old. And you know how we all feel about old stuff. It's just kind of worthless. We don't need it anymore. Let's get it out of the way. But that's never the way that the Bible uh, in the New Testament, that's never the way that, uh, that Christians thought of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is always talked about by, by true Christians as being just a full outgrowth of what the Old Testament was always saying all along. Uh, and Paul says that God that was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that's the God of this way, the God of of of, of Christianity, the God who sent Jesus and uh, the one who is the Messiah, uh, everything that was laid down by the law and was wit- written in the prophets. Um, I've been careful to observe those things, and what you see right now all springs and has grown out from that very from that very thing.
1: Yeah, you know, you think if we only had the New Testament, if that's all that we had as far as scriptures go. You can understand a lot and I yeah. mean there's a lot of you know dots we can connect, but to get the whole picture and to understand why certain things are the way they are, why worship is a certain way, why you know, why baptism yeah we we cannot get to that type of deep knowledge unless we have you know a precursor looking at the Old Testament yep you know because, as you said, it's an outgrowth. it's what we were it's what we were looking forward to um and so the actions even from the very beginning um you know, why do we even need a savior? Well, it happened way back in genesis right right um and so we we need to complete the whole picture. I think we do. <laughs> A disservice to people when when we say things like, "Well, the New Testament is the only thing we really need to worry about," yeah, or like in a in a Bible class, "What should we study next?" Well, definitely not Old Testament, you mm-hmm. know. Oh, let's let's do something applicable to our lives. <laughs> and I was like, "What? <laughs> Come yeah. on now!" Like there are so many things that that when you see in the Old Testament. You know the beginnings, and you see the mind of God and how God interacts with His people. It just gives you a much deeper appreciation for how He He acts today. Yeah.
0: How would we even How would we even know that there was this great need for Jesus to burst onto the scene in the beginning of Matthew? All right. Well, why should we we'd be excited about that? I mean, what's 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 the urgency for that? Well, the Old Testament's what's going to tell us. It's going to tell us about the problem of sin. It's going to tell us about, you know, all the things that God uh, is is was doing across centuries of time in order to uh, bring that to pass. And you know, we learn so much about the character of God. Not that we don't in the New Testament, but I would argue, you know, things like that, like like coming to know who God is and what He's about. I'm probably going to go to the Old Testament to find out more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so Paul says, you know, this is not something new, really. Uh, it's something that uh, has always been. And I, like I said, I may, maybe, maybe not. Let's not get rid of the old and new designation, but maybe that little blank piece of white paper that's in the middle of our Bibles between the old and new. Maybe we need to just tear that out <laughs> and just see it as all one consistent yeah. story again. And and that's really what Paul's uh, that's part of part of his defense here. Um, verse fifteen. Here's here's another essential of of the way and of what Christianity is all about. And that is having a hope in God. Um, We probably could spend a lot of time talking about this, but it is worth us just at least spending a, a minute or two just talking about how hope is something that defines Christians, especially in stark contrast to the rest of this world. You think about the the state of affairs in our world right now, you know, with uh, a pandemic and all of the unrest in the world and uh, just death and um, pain. If I wasn't a Christian, I would feel pretty hopeless looking at all of that. I, I wouldn't know how to, to, to cope with that. Um, you know, the thought of getting sick with the coronavirus and dying. Man, that would just be such a burden. But, but Christians, we don't have to fret and uh, you know have this feeling of hopelessness uh, the way that people in the world do. Uh, this is one of the identifying things that sets us apart, this having a hope in God. And then notice what Paul even says, he kind of follows it up, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Uh, One of the huge components that fuels our hope is the fact, the knowledge that one day even if we do die of coronavirus or (laughs) die of some other horrible uh, means we're going to be raised from the dead. And I do find it interesting that here in in verse 15 Paul says something that he's not said before about the resurrection. Um, Paul talks so much about the resurrection really in light of the believers but in this particular occasion, he specifically also says it's going to be a resurrection, not just of believing folks, but even unbelieving folks, the just and the unjust. And I want to make a point here maybe in a minute or two about why this is kind of a helpful little little verse for us in some of our um, discussions with uh, our denominational friends, but Paul says th- that's part of what fuels that hope, the knowledge that we're going to be raised and we're going to get to, to stand before God someday and get to then uh, be with Him if we've been living justly and rightly. And um, again, that's, that ought to be just something that oozes out of our pores. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I'm not suggesting that we you know, walk around all arrogant and boastful in some kind of way. But hope is what gives us you know, our, our confidence. It's what puts you know, kind of that skip in our step. And, and we're able to look just very uh, confidently at things that other people wring their hands about and sweat and are so concerned and just, I don't know what to do.
1: Yeah. That fact of the resurrection changes everything. Yeah. Because, I mean, you think about it. Like you were saying, people who don't have that hope all there is to this life is what you see right in front of you. There, there's really only the present moment. That's mm-hmm. the only thing that really matters to you. Yeah. What could you hope for? What, what could you be looking forward to? Um, you know as, as recent events will tell us, uh, we can't control That's what's right. going on around us. Um, you know you can't make enough money to protect you from dying um you, you there's nothing that you can do to you know ensure your your longevity and, and you know having tomorrow and even if you did even if you lived 300 years 1000 years mm-hmm. what happens when that's over yeah you know what what happens when that times up because that time will will pass and that you'll your time will be up so what what do you care about then? You know, what's going to matter? And so, knowing that there's a resurrection just paints a picture for us that's so much different. That mm-hmm. the way that we interpret our reality and and what this present moment is, you know, this present moment is just part of of an eternity um and what we have to do is is focus in on, on that detail. How often do we think about the resurrection?
0: How often do we talk about the resurrection? Yeah um, and we talk a lot about Christ's death and, and we should. yeah, but if Jesus just died, uh, that's sure. really not all that hopeful of a story. A lot of people die. Actually, a hundred percent of
1: people who have yeah. lived
0: before, and a lot of people have died on a Roman cross as well, in, yeah. in, in in a in a terrible way. There's lots of people that have died for very noble causes, even in a in a kind of a sacrificial kind of way. But there's only one who's done all of that, but then arose from the grave, never to die again. And that's what makes uh, that's that's what makes our resurrection uh, something that we can be absolutely confident about is going to happen. And knowing that. It's
1: not just the the good ones that raised from the dead, but it's also the wicked everybody, and so that should change the, our perspective on other people, yeah, you know, because sometimes if we approach our faith as something well that it's good for me, if you don't want it, it's okay, you know whatever, just live your life, well, what's gonna happen when their life is over? yeah, you know uh, am I going am I equipping them for what's to come? you know that is terrifying, yeah, that you know. If you live a terrible life and die a painful death, oh, oh well, it's over. Well, no, it's not. Right. You know, there's there's something much worse that could happen, and so that hopefully should motivate us to want to help those people yes. um, to see that so they don't suffer that fate.
0: We probably ought to make the point here as we talk about when Paul says uh, this hope this hope about the resurrection, and he says that that these men themselves. So he's he's referencing these these Jewish men who've accused him of this stuff. He says they accept this resurrection as well. And in Judaism, there was belief in a resurrection. I'm reminded of, I was pulling it up here in John chapter 11, whenever um, Lazarus died and, and Martha uh, came to Jesus and Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And then Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And of course, Martha would have been a good Jew at that point and, and is a good representative of, yes, they believed in a resurrection. But the difference between what Jews then and some of these Jews that are accusing Paul here, uh, the difference between that and really the resurrection that Paul is speaking of, it's not that it's a different resurrection, but really there's a different object uh, that kind of changes the perspective about that resurrection. And for for Paul, as he speaks about it here, uh, it's all wrapped around Jesus and the fact that He was raised from the dead. And you think about that great chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul talks so much about how everything hinges upon the resurrection of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, our resurrection hinges upon that. Our faith, everything that we're doing right now hinges upon it. And that's what that's part of Paul's defense. The reason that I do what I do is because of that hope of, of that resurrection to come. I said I wanted to say a second ago something about how this is a good, helpful verse. I think verse 15 is worth just kind of putting a star in our Bible. Uh, when we're talking with folks who hold premillennial views, um, if you've ever had a friend who's ever said anything about the rapture, you know when's the rapture going to be, and you know are you excited about the rapture? Um, that's premillennialism. That's a that's a small cog in the huge wheel that is premillennialism. But the whole rapture theory um, is built upon the idea that there will be multiple resurrections, and furthermore, that those resurrections will happen at like completely different times. Um, That the rapture will be the time when the righteous dead will be raised and raptured off back into heaven. And then later on, after the period of tribulation and all these other things, then that's when the wicked dead, they will then rise and they will then uh, be brought forth with everybody else and, and face the judgment. Um, what Paul says here speaks of just one resurrection. He doesn't talk here about multiple resurrections. He doesn't talk about some event that's going to take place, you know, you know, years apart, decades apart, centuries apart. Everybody's going to be raised at the same time. The just and the unjust, which just plums exactly with the words that Jesus taught in John chapter 5 when he talked about that there will be a resurrection of the dead, of the just and the unjust. Um, this is just one little passage that kind of helps to, to, to show the, the, the error of, of the rapture doctrine and, and like I said, the, the bigger doctrine of, of premillennialism.
1: Yeah, I I think <clears throat> what happens sometimes is people look at, at passages like I think it's in First Thessalonians that talk about the um, caught up. Yeah, yeah. The the and the thing is there, and I know this is not a First Thessalonian study, so I'll try to be brief on this. But um,
0: First Thessalonians four for those curious. Yes, Amen. So verse seventeen. Um,
1: yeah, it's, that passage is focused on people who are concerned about those who have already died. And it's like, well, what are they going to do? Because they're not going to be alive to meet the Lord. Mm-hmm. So you know I'm, I'm concerned about them you know what about my my family members the people that I worshiped with uh, especially in persecution you know people are killed for their faith. what are they going to do because they're not alive anymore mm-hmm. and so Paul's just comforting them saying now listen, no don't don't worry about that they're gonna they're gonna go first uh, they're they're gonna rise first they'll and then be there yeah you know, so uh, and it was just one of those things where don't freak out you know those people who have died, they're gonna be fine yeah. So it's just a different scope. We're looking at a completely different subsection of this. Um, You know, I think here in Acts twenty four we're seeing like the total picture. Yeah. Uh, First Thessalonians four is just we're focused on well what happens to
0: Christians. Mm -hmm. Well, so then Paul Paul uh, repeats something that he's he's already he actually just said it in the previous chapter in verse sixteen about uh, taking pains to have a clear conscience always. Mm -hmm. We'll, We'll restate what we said last week. That doesn't mean that because paul had a clear conscience that he always did the right thing but he always did that uh with a a mind that really believed he was serving god and that he he thought he was doing the right thing um and once his conscience got calibrated correctly here during these latter you know years of his life uh, he was able to 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 not only have a clear conscience but Confidently say that he was doing the right thing, and I appreciate what he says here at the end of verse sixteen, not just a clear conscience with God, Mm -hmm. but also with man as well. You know, with my with with fellow human beings, with with these Jewish men over here that are accusing me, and everybody else that I've uh, encountered, I've just always tried to do right by everybody and be consistent about that and to uh, you know to not uh, you know, I want to be blameless uh, toward others and, and Paul would write in the Roman letter in Romans 14 verse 18 about uh, that very idea of uh, being you know not just accepted by God but also being approved by man as well and uh, I think that's the, the the tenor of the idea here in verse 16
1: yeah and Romans twelve eighteen, if possible so far as it depends on you be at peace with all men. You know, just because we're Christians and we understand that God's in control, that does not make us arrogant uh, of things that are happening in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, we got to keep that in mind. How did Paul treat a, a a terrible ruler who was awful and, you know, being ridiculous to all the people, you know, was he disrespectful saying, I'm not going to listen to you. No, he, in verse 10, he was very respectful. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we show respect, and we show care, and we show love and, and commitment to that. Um, we're, if our goal is to share the gospel with others and teach others, we're not going to get there by beating people down because they are not Christians or because they are doing things that oppose Christianity. Right. Um, so I think that this is just a good example that shows uh, just because your governor is doing something that you don't agree with doesn't mean that you need to bash him.
0: I want us to notice something. Let's let's. I want to skip ahead and look at a uh, a verse a little bit later here because I want to then say something and connect this to verse uh, 17. Um, when it says in verse 26 that Felix he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. Um, all right. So when we get to that, we're going to wonder. Well. Why would he expect Paul would possibly give him money? My guess is Paul probably looks pretty beat up by this point. He's probably not, you know, very well kept and uh, his clothing may even be torn and tattered and so forth. Why would he get this idea that Paul would have money to give him, maybe to, you know, as as a bribe or to curry favor in some way? I think verse 17 might be the reason and this maybe makes me think paul maybe wishes you know he had not said this possibly mm-hmm. because in verse 17 is when paul says that after several years of having been away from jerusalem i came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings paul kind of lets the cat out of the bag here that the reason one of the reasons he came back to jerusalem was he had brought this money this offering that you know, he had been collecting from, from Gentile saints and Gentile churches uh, round about and was bringing that to these needy saints in Jerusalem, These many of which were Jewish brethren. And it, so there's a couple things going on here. One, Paul's emphasizing once again, I didn't come to Jerusalem to stir up trouble with the Jews. I actually came to help my brethren you know that's why i came i came bringing gifts to them uh but there is like you said there's also just the 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 admission that yeah i i came with money and um we actually don't even we don't even get the details here in acts about you know that money getting to be uh, delivered necessarily, and and seeing the effects of all that, I think maybe in some of the epistles we can kind of piece together that it mm-hmm. that it did. Um, but as far as Felix knows, oh, he may be still packing this money with him, and yeah. so um, I, I wonder that that's that's just kind of a. a you know, a conclusion that's drawn on my part, but it does make me wonder if that's where Felix was getting that idea from.
1: Yeah, we get sidetracked with this whole, like, Paul imprisoned part for several chapters. Yeah. And so it's hard to keep track of what's going on there. And, uh, I mean, you got to think, he's, you know, Felix is probably used to accepting bribes and that sort of thing. Um, That's, you know, probably was not an uncommon thing. Yeah. You know, that's how people got their justice uh, or, you know, how they would attempt to.
0: If all that ridiculous flattery from Tortullus at the beginning of the chapter is any indication, it's it just seems like it would not be out of the question at all that in addition to that kind of junk, he also would was receiving, you know, envelopes under the table of <laughs> yeah. big fat stacks of Jewish drachmas or whatever units of money the Jews used, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, so Paul says, you know, th- this was the reason that I came. I came to, to, to be a help and be a blessing to, uh, to, to these very kinds of people over here, my Jewish brethren here, verse 18. But while I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple. I wasn't there stirring up trouble. I wasn't there causing any kind of a commotion. In fact, there wasn't even a crowd or, or any kind of commotion uh, around me. I was there going through these Jewish purification rites. Again, they, they want to paint Paul as being just this renegade against uh, Judaism. No, I actually was going through some of those very same uh, purification rites. And, of course, that harkens all the way back to you know kind of the the. Suggestions that James had given to Paul, which you know, kind of in hindsight, that was actually pretty good that he you know encouraged him to do that because now Mm -hmm. Paul's able to use that as a as as part of his defense here. But then Paul says, you know, it's because of these some of these outside people, these troublemakers who've been following me from town to town, these guys who are not even here, and really, if you want to hear you know, somebody makes some kind of an accusation, they ought to be the ones to do it, but they're not even here. They ought to be the ones present to say these things against me. Uh, Otherwise, verse 21, uh, the only other thing that this council can say against me is that I made a statement that made them mad and they all split. You know, the Pharisee side and the Sadducee side all split because I said this about uh, the resurrection of the dead. And so... I mean, do I need to give a defense for that? I mean, that was there was nothing wrong about that. I didn't do anything illegal by by making that kind of statement. That's the only thing that they got on me.
1: Yeah, which half of them would have agreed with.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and a, a lot of them did when that happened. Yeah, uh,
1: so it's like it, if that's really what I'm on trial for, then you know we're we're having the wrong discussion.
0: Yeah. Um, well, so so there's Paul's defense. Uh, this is the, again the, like the third consecutive chapter of Paul giving a, a, a defense, and there's there's little variations along the way, and we're, we get some good helpful things. One of the things I just wanted to say, just kind of as a, a general statement, and I just got thinking about this earlier. Paul's life, really, for these these chapters and really through the rest of Acts, is just really not pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, said a moment ago about how you know his clothes are probably tattered. He probably, maybe even stinks at this point, and sweaty, and uh, just worn out, and you know, being pushed around, and you know, near death, and uh, people hate his guts, and uh, it's just I, I don't envy it uh, from that standpoint.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> But it's interesting that nowhere along the way have we read anything where Paul is complaining about his circumstances. Uh, nowhere have we read at any point where Paul just lets out this big just sigh of, not again, or I'm just tired of this, or never any suggestions about how he just needs to retire from ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just makes the best of his circumstances wherever he is. And of course, Paul would write about that probably most famously in, in like the Philippian letter where he talks about you know, learning. learning, And it took it took the process of, of time to learn it, but learning to be content in, in, in any and all circumstances. And that is the context by which he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, but, I don't know, we're, we, Luke's not going into detail about Paul's attitude, but... I think it's it's the fact that he's not saying these things probably ought to just provide a good lesson for us about attitude in the midst of adverse circumstances.
1: You think even it's even written of Jesus that he learned obedience yeah. through the things that he suffered, and you know, you you do you learn that. And we're just we complain too often. It's so easy for us just to you know we start talking, and what do we talk about? man, it's just so hot outside, <laughs> or
0: <laughs> cold, like,
1: yeah, oh, just, I've been cramped all day in my house, or, man, I haven't been home all day, Yeah. or it doesn't matter what it is, There's we can always. find something yep. to complain about, and that's, I mean, what do you talk about to your co-workers at work, you know, what do you talk to your family about, you know, it, it's, it's so easy just to be negative and complain and I mean I, I fall into this all the time yeah. and it, it's it's a struggle for me but just hearing how Paul talks in Philippians 4 and and seeing what he goes through here it's just like man what am I even doing yeah uh, you know you you don't see the the complaining and grumbling from Jesus you don't see it from Paul yeah uh, you don't you just that's that doesn't seem to be in line with living a life as a Christian about being thankful to the Lord for providing whatever you do have. Yeah. Um so I think we just need to look at every day as an opportunity to be thankful for what we have and to be a good influence showing people how we deal with suffering and deal with with adverse situations. Yeah.
0: The the these chapters here are probably not the most famous chapters in Acts but Man, if if we ever just need some perspective shifting in our life, or where we actually, you know, get 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 a, a bigger picture view, um, these are helpful chapters for that purpose. And like I said, it's been brought to my attention just as we've studied along here in chapters you know, twenty-two and twenty-three and twenty-four, and really it'll, get, it'll keep on going through the through the rest of the book. Uh, just it, it's just not in a good way. Yeah. Um, so verse 22, all right, so Felix has listened to both sides of this uh, argumentation going on. And verse 22 then says, But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off. I just think that's a, it's a great little note that Luke has, has given us here, that uh, Felix was not a complete idiot about Christianity. He, he How does the numerical standard say that? Uh, exactly. Okay. That. Um, more exact knowledge. About a that. more exact knowledge, a rather accurate knowledge uh, of the way, um, which just makes it uh, so uh, masterful that Paul seizes upon that. And I, and I'm, I don't. Maybe I, I don't even know whether Paul knew that Felix had uh, some kind of a knowledge of the way, but obviously Luke knew that. Whether that was just common knowledge or the holy spirit you know uh, you know led him to to write that information but that's what makes it so great for paul to have said some of the things that he said to kind of lay down some some groundwork because right here in just a second when paul then has an opportunity uh to kind of talk to felix one-on-one uh he's going to really you know put some nuts and bolts to all of that and he's going to talk about some of the things that felix needed to hear not just Things that just everybody in general needs to hear. Not gonna like, I'm gonna like narrow this down specifically to your circumstances, Felix. <laughs> um, he puts them off though, and here's what he says. He says, "When Lysias the Tribune comes down, I will decide your case." Um, this is one of those places where, again, if I were Paul, I'd just be like, "Come on." Let's just let's just. What what was the deal? Why isn't Lysias here? You know, dude's been here every other step of the way, but it's just another thing to get this delayed even more. And man, I'm just tired of wearing these handcuffs. I just want to go preach. Somebody get me out of here so I can go preach and get on a boat and go somewhere. Um, Be hard for me not to be thinking those (laughs) things, but. Again, another delay, but there is the recognition. I right, I need Lysias here. He was obviously kind of involved in the in the middle of all this. Lysias is the one who sent the letter here to Felix and sent the case in his direction. Verse twenty three. Then he gave orders to the centurion that Paul should be kept in custody but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. Um, here's just another one in a series of uh, places where. Uh, Paul has proven himself to these Roman officials, and as a result, um, they're friendly to him. Yeah. The people that's causing him trouble is not the Romans. The people that's causing trouble is these Jews. Um, Paul's conducted himself in such a way that f- from everything that the Romans are seeing, I mean, this guy's guy a, a, seems like a pretty decent citizen, you know, so we're not going to put the kinds of uh, restraints on him that we would some other kind of hardened criminal. There's not been any real concrete evidence presented that would cause us to think that he's some threat to society. So okay, we'll keep him in custody, but gonna give him some liberty. Not gonna you know prevent people from coming and visiting him uh, here at the jail and people that want to you know bring him supplies and other things that he might need. Um, I don't know, just uh, it. it there's a good lesson there for us about even in the midst of a very crooked society, mm-hmm. it's possible for us to conduct ourselves in a proper kind of way. I think about what Paul would, would write in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 2 when he talks about that we ought to pray that that we, should be, that we could lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. When we are, just seeking to live peaceful, quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way, um, not only does that help us to be the salt of the earth, but, but many times there are benefits that come from that. And um, people around us can't help but see that and then treat us properly in response. That's not mm-hmm. like a, a, a blanket promise that that's the way everybody's going to do. I mean, you may be as as you know peaceful and quiet and godly and dignified and upright as you possibly can be, and some people still spit right in your face. Yeah. Um, but just kind of generally speaking, Paul's showing us the example here that it's possible we, we can actually be treated well if we'll conduct ourselves like we're supposed to, regardless of what you know how corrupt this society or this government may be. Mm-hmm. We, there is the, the chance that we could get the, the, the kind of the good end of the stick.
1: Yeah. That's true, and, and that's probably the best Paul could hope, hope for yeah. in this situation. I mean, you see, even in this, you see a lot of failures on, on the part of Felix. Because, for one, Claudius Lysias, he had sent the letter already. Yeah. He pretty much sent everything he <laughs> knew. Will. And so it's like, okay, what do you, what do you expect to get out of him? He basically sent a letter that said, I don't know what the, what they're doing. I don't know what the charges are. So here you go. Yeah. And, you know, every step along the way here, we, we see the failure of people who were in charge to actually get to the bottom of it and, and work justice. Mm-hmm. Um, because through all this, because Felix had a more excellent knowledge or a more complete knowledge of the way, he should have been able to judge it and be like, okay, yeah, well, he's obviously not guilty, yeah. so he's fine. But still yet, he's trying to please the Jews and at the same time you know let's take care of Paul too because it's obvious he's not guilty.
0: This is very much like Jesus before Pilate. I mean Pilate knows Jesus is innocent but he's got to kind of placate uh, all sides here, and so he's trying, He keeps putting it off. You know, he sends him to Herod, and then he offers the the Barabbas deal. Well, surely they're going to ask for Jesus to be released, and not Barabbas. <laughs> you know, he's he's trying every yeah. way to get out of it, and and Paul is kind of being treated in that same way here because once again, he, his character and his manner of life has spoken for itself, and um, and, and and here's even a godless, you know, pagan governor even he's able to recognize that. And so as a result, he is just delaying the inevitable.
1: Yeah. And I I like the wording that's used there. He put them off. Yeah. It's like he made the decision to not make a decision. (laughs) Yeah. And how often do we do that? I mean, it's just so easy to procrastinate and just be like, I'll do it tomorrow or I'll I'll do it later. What we're doing when we do that is, is basically saying I make the choice to not do it right now.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it's not going to get easier it's not like it's going to magically the problem's going to disappear um it's probably going to make things worse but we don't we don't want to be someone who has to make a hard decision something that's going to upset people um and that sort of thing um we we're, we're just we we lack courage in some ways and i think we definitely see that in the part of felix we've seen that a lot yeah others too.
0: well James four seventeen talks about knowing the right thing to do and failing to do it it's sin mm-hmm. and um and there's the the proverbs that talk about you know uh and it's specifically talking about I think money and paying debts but how you know when it's in your hand to, to pay that debt you should do it and not put that off till a later time right. um Felix is kind of he's he's kind of doing that here. He knows what the right thing to do is. The right thing to do would be to acquit Paul and say, "Hey, I find no guilt in this guy. Hey, you know, God bless you, go on your merry way." But he doesn't. Again, there's a political side to all of this for sure. Um, and um,
1: I, I will say though, it. In in the long run, if we look at it from a bird's eye view, with what's happened already and what's going to happen the next few chapters, it was to Paul's benefit that yeah. he was kept. In, it's more of like a protective custody, because yeah. people wanted to kill him, yeah. And this is one way to make sure that he's alive enough to go to Rome.
0: Yeah, I I'm reminded of what we talked about last week in chapter twenty three and in verse eleven. That promise that. Uh, jesus had given to him that um uh well that says that the lord stood by him and he said take courage and you know through this whole this next leg of the of of the the tryings of paul um that would have been the thing that would have just carried him through was the knowledge Mm -hmm. the lord's with me he's assured me i'm going to get to where i need to go and so all right whatever happens is going to happen. Uh, I'm not, really not concerned about what this guy says or what these people don't do, et cetera, et cetera, because the Lord's promised I'm getting to Rome and I'm going to get there. And so eh, I'll just I'll you know hedge all my bets on that, put all my eggs in that basket. Right. Um. So verse twenty four. Um, after some days, so Paul here, so here's in, Paul's in custody for a few days. Just, we're we're just kind of waiting and nothing's really happening. After some days, Felix it seems gets the itch or gets, you know, some curiosity swirled up in him. And it may be that his wife that's mentioned here, uh, there's some translational questions as to, maybe it's the wife that kind of encouraged him, and she's the one who sent for So after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Now, um... The the text doesn't tell us this about uh, Drusilla, but there is record outside of the Bible that Drusilla and Felix and their marriage together was not appropriate mm. and was not right. Yeah. And um, so here's this woman who's got a, a she's got a Jewish background. But here she is in a, you know, in an ungodly marriage, uh, a marriage that you know God certainly would not have sanctioned, even by the old law, um, let alone the the, the new law. Um, is involved in this marriage with this man, and so whether it was her that kind of had the curiosity and she kind of prods Felix to hey call that Paul guy in here, I want to hear what he has to say, or if it was just Felix, especially since Felix did have some some knowledge about the way. Uh, well, hey, I got this guy here. Um, just bring him in here. Just hear, let's just hear more about this, and try to be able to do this without the, you know, maybe some of the influence of of other parties, the Jewish, you know, cohort there, and and some of these others. Let's just bring him in. Let's hear about this faith in Christ Jesus business.
1: Yeah, I, you know, Drusilla, her her back, she's part of the Herod family. Yeah, you know, daughter of the Acts twelve Herod, I think, that uh, was eaten by worms after he beheaded. James, okay. the, the apostle. Um, and, and so she has an interesting background being you know from that family. Yeah. Uh, also the Herod that tried to kill Jesus when he was a, a, a baby. Yep. Like a great niece or something. Anyways,
0: she's, she's just got great genes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now, she's on her second marriage. Yeah. Felix is on his third marriage. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff there. It's like, you know, if, if I was Paul and I knew that, about these people what kind of things would i want to talk to them about you know what? perhaps
0: the very things that he's going to talk about in verse 25 Ooh. <laughs> nice segue yeah. yeah well let's just notice those so paul he's going to reason to them about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment now that is uh, that's a very different paul sermon Mm. compared to all the other paul sermons you know lots of paul's other sermons that we've read you know are very heavy on like the resurrection of jesus and you know uh, you know kind of the uh maybe some of the apologetic side of that of this is this is why we believe that and this is why you should believe that I think Paul recognizes that that probably maybe already be kind of established in 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 Felix's mind um, and so this when it talks about faith in Christ Jesus it's not just about you know believing whether Jesus is who he says he was. let me talk to you about what faith in action is all about mm-hmm. and that's going to be these things in verse 25 righteousness. Um, I guess there's a lot of uh, things that we could say would be involved in the definition of, of righteousness, but I always just, you know, especially when I'm teaching young people, I just tell them, I say, look at those first five letters of the Word. Yeah, It's about doing what's right, doing the right thing. And then self-control or temperance, I think is the way some of the old translations say, but my oh my, if you're talking to some people who have been fast and loose with maybe their sexual practices and we're just going to get married to all kinds of different people and we're just going to be willy-nilly about that, those are people that need to hear about self-control. They need to hear about controlling their their passions and controlling their uh, human urges and desires and bringing those into conformity uh, to Jesus because of the coming judgment. There's coming a day in which we're going to have to give an answer for whether we were righteous or not, whether we were self-controlled or not. Uh, those would be the kinds of things that would be directly applicable to their circumstances in that moment, right then and there, which does show that Paul is very well capable of you know, preaching uh, sermons other than just, let me talk to you about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, it's important. You need to know that. But once that's kind of settled and established, all right, we need to now put some more meat on those, on those bones and understand what l- living as a Christian is, is about and what, what faith in Christ Jesus involves. And, um, well, well, we'll get to it in just a second as far as the, the response of, of Felix here. But what do you want to say about uh, Paul's subject matter? How bold do you have
1: to be to yeah. say that yeah. to someone in that position? Because you think, you know, if, if I was in that situation, would I be, one, begging for my life, you know, I just, I want to be released, let me find a way to get released, or would I be looking at the ones with authority, with power, mm-hmm. and basically condemning the very thing, you yeah. know, their their entire life? Uh, you know, the last time in in the gospels where we see someone confronting a herod family member who's in a marriage that wasn't legitimate
0: off the head
1: he did yeah, yeah the john the baptist and, and so same family by the way uh and you know, there was a lot of danger in that for paul for calling them out for that yeah and and saying that man that's that's bold
0: but can we say let's just say about that real quick um that same boldness is needed by us in the generation in which we live when, when marriage is under assault what the definition of marriage is uh, whether it is talking about you know uh, adulterous marriages or whether we're talking about gay marriage or any other perversion of, of that um, it will take boldness on our part to be able to say what the Bible says and it will not be popular and hopefully it won't result in us being beheaded Um, But who knows, you know? Um, We need the boldness of a John the Baptist. We need the same boldness that Paul had. Um, And and I think Paul maybe recognized that he had developed some level of rapport Mm -hmm. with Felix by this point that he felt comfortable to say those things. Um, I don't think Paul just you know, thought, well, okay, I'm meeting this guy for the very first time and I'm just gonna like bust this out. No, I think there had been some development, it seems like, maybe in their relationship from the time he's first brought up to this point here and, and he felt, right, yeah, this, this is a good time to, to kinda just, let's get to the point about some of this. I so keep,
1: it, keep in mind, he was the very respectful when he first approached yeah. him. And this is Felix and his wife asking him to come and yeah, talk about that. Exactly. You know, it, they, he didn't specifically say, hey, come and talk to me about my marriage. You know, that that wasn't it. But right. he called and asked him to speak more about what he was, you know, doing about faith in Jesus. Yeah. You know, what that means. Yeah. Uh, and so, I think when we have those opportunities, we have to take it. Not that we're being disrespectful or, or being just brass and, you know, that sort of thing. We are... We're, you know, mindfully calculating how we approach situations, but not afraid.
0: Yeah, and saying what's needful, you know, for the for the circumstance. I I appreciate when when brothers pray before a, a maybe before the sermon, and they'll pray, you know, Lord, please bless uh, Brother Josh or whoever. That they'll say the things that are most needful for us at this time. I think that's a good prayer. Yeah. Um. And and Paul saw. And this is kind of what's needful right here for for these folks at this moment, and uh, and I want to always just kind of that means I need to kind of be. Be sensitive, have my ears kind of be perked up and be sensitive and try to be keen to what's going on in people's lives and um, where they're coming from so that I'm not spinning my wheels over here talking about a bunch of stuff that, well, yeah, yeah, we already all agree with that. And here's this big elephant sitting over here in the corner that like we've just completely ignored that needs to be touched upon. Paul wasn't going to let that elephant be ignored. We're going to talk yeah, about it. Right. Um, so righteousness, self-control, the judgment that is to come, and then it says, Felix was alarmed. Is that the NS Numeric Standard? Became frightened. Became frightened. Um, this is emotion. I think it's safe to call that the fear here and the alarmedness uh, an emotion. And it is a proper emotion, I think, in response to, to biblical preaching, uh, especially when you've been convicted um, that there was this fright, especially in light of... You know I imagine Paul kind of concluding everything by talking about the judgment to come and there maybe would have just been kind of some you know almost a, a shiver up and down Felix's spine the thought of standing before Jesus and having to give an account for my you know lack of self-control and my lack of righteousness um so he's alarmed and and that alarmedness and and being kind of shaken in that way it can be a great motivator to get us to do the right thing mm-hmm Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like it does it here. No. It goes in the other direction. That alarmingness and that scaredness is just kind of, it's too much for Felix to handle, and so his response to Paul is, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. It's just too much for me to listen to, Paul. I just can't take all this right now. Um, So, hey, um, come back later. I'll holler back at you later. Mm. Maybe the saddest thing about all this is that... um, at least scripture never records that that you know convenient season or opportunity ever came around maybe it did and but i'd like to think that if it did luke would have recorded that for us or paul would have said something about it at some point to you know encourage us but i think probably the indication is is that felix lit a wonderful opportunity a moment where there evidently was some conviction working in him and he let it pass by and that is one of those reasons, and I think this is a good reason, for a tradition that we have you know, amongst churches of Christ that I've always been associated with, uh, and that is the, the concept of offering an invitation and the invitation song at the conclusion of a sermon. Uh, because, especially, you, know, you preach on certain subjects and things that are designed to kind of motivate and stir people, and, and maybe it's a, the kind of thing that calls people to action, Last thing you want to do is just kind of end that, and then okay, we all go home. Uh, It's kind of I like the idea of like let's capitalize on the kind of the 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 fervor of that moment, and again, it's not like we're going to play on people's emotions, but it's just striking while the iron's hot. Mm -hmm. And and I think the Lord is is aware of, of that as well. That you think about when when the Bible talks about that it's that it's better to go to the house of mourning than it is the house of feasting. Well, why is that? Well, because when you go to the house of mourning, our emotions, our thoughts are stirred in such a way where we really are willing to give you know, contemplative consideration to things that maybe we would not have otherwise. And so God understands that idea of like we need to capitalize on, on the moment and and you know, Paul's trying to capitalize on the moment and Felix unfortunately just lets it go right through his fingertips. Yeah. Man. Sad
1: it it really Tragic. is and and you think about this this was it was the definition of Felix you know he was not one to take action verse 22 he put the people off yeah here he's putting paul off and his own you know salvation um, he was just a person who didn't want to deal with things yep and i think that's that's us sometimes we get so complacent that we're not willing to take action if I know that there's something I need to do, I need to do it. Yep. You know, and I'm not just talking about becoming a Christian initially. It, it can be anything. If we know that, hey, I, I struggle with this sin. I need to get I need to get control of this. I need to work on this. Well, do it. Yeah. You know, you you need to do it right now. Uh, I, I need to be better about reading my Bible. Okay. Well, what are you going to do? How are you going to do that? I need to be better at praying. I need to be better at talking to people about Jesus. I need to be better about whatever it is. Fill in the blank. But you know, we we see this concept throughout the Bible that the best time to do something is right now. Mm-hmm. It always is.
0: The whole now is the day of salvation.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and so you know, this this situation, um, you know, it doesn't matter what Felix did. What are we going to do? Um, are, are we going to, when we're faced with an opportunity to do the right thing, mm-hmm. are we going to do it? Um, and, you know, I, I think that that is the call here to, you know, we see what's right and we do it. Um, if you put it off, man, you're, you're just, you're less likely to take the action. So if, if you ever find yourself using that phrase, when i find more time mm-hmm. i'll do that you know that's how my version renders that um that i've used that a lot you know yeah. i just don't have time for that right now but no i just i don't want to face i don't want to face it right now you know i just i want to put it off um because maybe i won't feel as guilty tomorrow or whatever
0: well and that's again that's, that's just what makes felix such a tragic figure in a lot of ways and um it's a cautionary tale uh, about um, you know, seizing the, the, the moments that God places before us. You know. In the providence of, of God, you know, Felix, again, kind of an otherwise pagan person, had an apostle of the Lord placed in front of him. And he got the opportunity to have a, a one-on-one conversation, sermon, right there, just him and his wife. With Paul, which I mean, I'd I'd pay good money to have that opportunity. Felix had it handed to him on a silver platter. God God afforded him that, and, and he let the moment passing by, which which then means that you know this is really kind of almost an anticlimactic you know ending to this yeah. chapter. Right. Um, you know, Paul's given this wonderful defense. He's, um, you know, he's, he's acquitted himself well. He gets this wonderful opportunity to the, to then have kind of a a private conversation with Felix, and then he just squanders the opportunity. Felix does. Um,
1: yeah. You you think? Uh, you know, this just hit me. Why would Felix feel this way about? He probably realized if he made the t- decision to obey the gospel. What that would mean for his private life yeah you know um this this marriage i'm in is not legitimate yeah you know i so you know really when you think about it that way when i find time to separate from my wife that i shouldn't be with then i'll become a christian yeah you know it's like okay no no <laughs> that's yeah. you're it's never going to be a good opportunity to separate yourself from a sin you're living in yeah
0: or to make any other kind of dramatic life changes that have to that are going to have to be made in order to, to bring myself into conformity with with Christ, um, there's not a quote unquote convenient time to do that. There's just only the right time to do that, and that's just always immediately right now. Yeah. And uh, and that is because of the fact that judgment's coming, and the fact that we don't know when that may be. That's even more the reason why it needs to be right now, because um, it could be. The moment after now, when judgment comes. right. Yeah. Um, so that's what then brings to verse 26, which we referenced earlier, where it says, at that same time, Felix had hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So it's possible that maybe when he invited Paul up to, to kind of have, hey, well, let's hear a little bit more about this Christianity thing, there may have been kind of dual motives there, that thinking eh, maybe he'll you know, grease the palm a little bit and uh, this is where he'll be able to, to give me a bribe here. Uh, and so it says that he actually had sent for him often and conversed with him. So not just on that one occasion, but there actually were, were other opportunities. And again, I just I, I would tend to believe that the Holy Spirit would uh, you know, let us know if, if he ever sees the opportunity. I'll be excited if we get to heaven one day walking around meeting all these souls, and guy comes up and says, Hi, I'm the Governor Felix. <laughs> yes! Yeah. Great! Yeah. Tell me all about, you know, what finally got you over the hump, but... Um... Seem as if maybe he he just allowed those those great opportunities to pass him by. In fact, it seems here that maybe for the better part of the two years uh, that that was the case. Verse twenty-seven: When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And, desiring to do the Jews a favor, favor Felix left Paul in prison. So, for the remainder of Felix's tenure as as governor, uh, it might be safe for us to assume that you know just kind of like the the Herod and John the Baptist. Uh, relationship you know Herod frequently you know we're told enjoyed you know bringing John in and yeah he says mean stuff about my marriage and and I'm not really ever going to change but man, I like talking to him and I like hearing what he's got to say and we just agree to disagree kind of thing and and I've met people like that that they kinda like the association of being around Christians and they even like to engage in spiritual conversation but then when you kind of, you know, put it right there in front of their face and kind of you're using the Bible as the mirror and saying, Hey, okay, well, well what are you gonna do about that now? Mm-hmm. Um, there's just always that hesitancy and reluctancy. Um, but then even after you do that, you know, they don't they don't push you away, it's just eh yeah. Yeah, maybe one of these days one of these days yeah, yeah yeah i appreciate you thanks thanks for thanks for praying for me and thanks for always you know checking on me and asking those things that's that's always uh encouraging and appreciated um and i and i've like I said i've i've known people just like that the Herod type the felix type and um i don't know you have to imagine there'd be some maybe some measure of frustration on on paul's part to come on guy i know you see this i know you get it it's just what's it going to take for you to do it? I
1: I think that should help us when we're talking to people and realizing that I'm getting the same reaction that the apostle Paul got, Yeah, you know, because I I think we can get down on ourselves and be like, well, what can I do different? How can I approach them? What am I doing wrong? Right. You, you might not be doing anything wrong. Yeah. Um, I, I would assume the apostle Paul knew how to approach people with the gospel. Um, and still he didn't get everybody. Um, we don't need to be too hard on ourselves when that when it comes to that. Just do what you know to do. You know, spread the gospel, and let the people decide. Some people do like feeling guilty because in, in some ways it makes them feel like, well, if I feel guilty about this, I'm better off than if I was just a completely oblivious. But mm-hmm. then they still never take action. Right. Um, and so it's just stepping my toes a little bit, and then I'm good. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't make sense at all, but that's how some people act, um, and so don't be surprised when we encounter that
0: and this is maybe as good a place as any of a passage to teach that uh, there is more to the gospel than just hearing and yeah right. Felix yeah. evidently got to hear a lot, heard lots of gospel sermons from Paul, got to sit in the presence of an apostle and 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 learn from him. He heard a lot of great things during those couple of years, I'm sure um. But it's not enough to just hear. Uh, James talks about not just being a hearer of the Word, but a doer who acts. Uh, you don't want to be the person who, you know, I look in the mirror and, yeah, okay. I saw what I saw, and I see there's clearly some, you know, smudge marks on my face, and my beard's all out of whack, but, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> just walk right on by. James says that's foolish. You're deceiving yourself, and... Um, yeah, Felix stands for for maybe all time as one of the classic examples of of being a hearer but not not ever being a doer. Yeah. Um, also in
1: James, talking about even the the demons believe and tremble. Yeah, uh, and you know some versions of this says Felix trembled. Yeah, it. I think it shows obviously he believed. Yeah, he did. He he knew somewhere in his heart that this was true. But just having a mental acceptance or acknowledgement of a truth doesn't mean that you're going to do what it takes. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's the, the distinction here. And so we got to be careful when we just talk about our our belief. Yeah. Um. Well, what's what's it doing in your life? You know. Are are we acting like we truly believe it? Um. And again, not just to get salvation initially, but to live as a Christian it our, is our life a life of belief in doing the right thing in, in being an advocate for the Lord and you know following his footsteps and in, in all aspects of our life
0: yeah there's a question I have here as we, we conclude the chapter and I don't know if there's an answer to it but so 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 Felix puts puts off making a decision uh, uh, on the grounds that okay, we need to call for Lysias to get over here, sort this out. What's taken Lysias so long to get here? <laughs> because <laughs> two years later, Paul's still in prison, and uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it just makes me wonder what 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 happened to that. I thought that was the reason. So Paul's being, you know, just uh, he's being continuing to be unlawfully detained, really. Yeah. And you just have to imagine there is. Uh, just antsiness and frustration on Paul's part to to get out and go because again that's been the the modus operandi of his you know life as a Christian up to this point is like we're going and you know very few times we notice Paul staying for even extended periods in, in 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 places at one time and that's not to say that Paul you know didn't capitalize on the circumstances that he had and all right it was great to be able to get to to teach Felix and Drusilla and You know, maybe officers and others who would have been around. He would have made the best of those situations. But um, you just know, just knowing Paul's character and everything we've learned about him up to this point, um, man, this two years probably would have felt like an eternity.
1: Definitely so. And and I think again, to just talk about the attitude of putting things off, um, we we can always find another excuse. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure when Lysias got there. Felix found something else. Yeah. He said to, to put it off and make an excuse. Some
0: technicality. Yeah, yeah,
1: always. And so that's that's what we have to be careful of because we're always going to find something. There's always going to be something. You know, I, I'll obey when I'm older. Oh well, you know the kids are growing up. After the kids move out, I'll, I'll listen. And oh, you know, I, I'm too busy with this. And um, eventually, you know, it's going to be too late. Yeah. And it, the more we say no to something, the easier it is to say no. And we, mm-hmm. we just have to be a people of action. And that goes against uh, the way a lot of us are, just our, our personalities, just the way that we conduct ourselves every single day. Um, but no, we, we need to be more of a people of action. And I think that's why you know, we, we've been saying every week, we need to keep studying. This needs to be something that is just ingrained in us that we that we are like like james says not a forgetful hearer but a doer mm-hmm. um and so that way we need to know what the word says but we also need to be equipped to do it as well so that's my call
0: well so these two years where felix is just dragging this thing out and um and then now he's no longer uh you know he, he's taken out of his position festus gets placed uh in that role uh it's, it's sometime in there that uh, Paul then, chapter 25, is just going to be like, all right, I've kind of had enough of this. I'm going to pull out those magic words, those four magic words, I appeal to Caesar, and we're, we're, we're getting somewhere. And so that is what's going to happen in the 25th chapter. Final thoughts on chapter
1: 24? This has uh, been quite a ride so far, and it's not over.
0: It's not over, and um, so we'll talk about Paul uh, before Agrippa uh, next week. And well, actually, chapter twenty-six as well, his defense before uh, Agrippa, and uh, slowly but surely he's gonna gonna get to Rome. Man, we're down to the last twenty-five verses. We're down to the final four chapters. Yeah, we are the final four. Since we didn't have the NCAA tournament this past year, this will be your your final four to look forward to uh, for for 2020. always more forward. exciting. Yeah, I'm look, I, it, It's always more exciting to study the Bible. So sure. appreciate folks listening and looking forward to talking about Acts 25 next week.